Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining me today. Uh, This is part two, and I'm entitling the message Friendship and the Church. And it's something about friends. You know, no friends can be as damaging upon your thoughts and your actions as unbiblical friends. You know, King Saul. King Saul had Samuel sent by God to help him be all that God wanted him to be. Saul's problem was he didn't want to listen. He had a biblical friend, but he refused to listen to him. And as a result, his life ended in tragedy. David's downfall was directly related to the lack of biblical counsel that he received from his military leader and his friend Joab. The general refused to challenge David after the king gave orders to cause Uriah's death in battle. Instead of warning the king against being an accessory to murder, Joab stayed silent. So friends are a gift of God, but unbiblical friends can cause your life to unravel. Think about Jacob and the incredible potential of his life. In every instance where Jacob was alone, he did something very foolish. He deceived his brother. He lied to his father. He ran from his problems. Well, how about Samson? Uh, You talk about a guy who had a lot of potential. He was strong. He was handsome. He was full of understanding of the power of God. The Spirit of God was resting upon him. But his life was foolish and ultimately tragic. In every passage we learn about him, Samson was alone. He didn't have a friend. You see, we are just like the men and the women in God's Word. We have these unbelievable abilities. We have these desires, and and we have great potential. But without biblical truth-telling friends, our lives will flop just like theirs. So choose friends who are committed to help you change to be like Christ. You can't go where God wants you to go unless you hook up with somebody who also wants to be what God wants him or her to be. You see, it's a two-way thing. Change flourishes when we're in partnership. Choose friends who are committed to change. Every Christian needs to be a biblical friend, and every Christian needs to have biblical friends. Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You know that old saying, you're known by the bad company you keep? Well, the corollary to this truth is, so pick your friends wisely. Solomon warns us, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. You know, not everybody's a good friend for you. Not everybody is friendship material. So be mindful of this counsel. Like another old saying that Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, bad company corrupts good morals. You know, it doesn't really matter your age. Your friends will affect your life for good or for bad. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He says, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Well, let's look at some character traits of good biblical and godly friends. First of all, I would say get good friends are those who lift you up when you're down. I guess we could call them grace-filled friends. They come along and they lift you up when you're having a hard time. I love people in my life that come along when I'm having a bad day and they said, hey, hang in there. 
you know, you're going to make it through this. Walter Witchell said, a real friend is one who walks in when everybody else walks out. That is what true friendship is all about. They show up for you. Now, the biblical example of this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Now, let me just read the text for you, and then I'll make a few comments about how good friends show up for you. 1 Samuel 23. And Jonathan said to him, Don't be afraid, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You're going to be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Now, I love this passage because we know from a few chapters ahead of this, we know from 1 Samuel 18 that Jonathan loved David. We know from 2 Samuel chapter 1 that David lamented the death of Jonathan. And he says that he loved Jonathan and his love was stronger than the love that he'd have for a woman. Now, don't take this out of context and don't make this say something it's not saying. It's not talking about this being some kind of an immoral relationship. You know, it's hard for our culture. Our culture thinks that if two men have a bond of friendship, that there must be more to that friendship. And, and it must be some kind of, a, of an immoral connection. You know, as you look at these two passages, it's not in any way suggesting that it was a homosexual relationship between David and Jonathan. As you look at this here, that word love, talking about a diplomatic connotation, that word, that Hebrew word for love that is used here is not the typical word that we use for sexual activity. It's not the Greek word eros. The word love here is clearly a political and diplomatic connection. David's comparison to his relationship with Jonathan and with that of a woman is a reference to his experience with King Saul's daughter. He was promised one of Saul's daughters for killing Goliath, but Saul continued to add conditions upon his marriage and those desires that David had as he was in that battle. The love David received from Jonathan was greater than anything he could have received from Saul. The love that he was receiving from Saul was a conditional love, and he kept adding to those conditions. But we see the love that David had for Jonathan and Jonathan had for David wasn't based on any kind of condition. We also understand that clearly the Bible consistently denounces homosexuality. Extolling a homosexual love between David and Jonathan would be contradicting the prohibitions of what is found throughout the Bible. Listen, the fellowship, the friendship that David and Jonathan enjoyed was a covenantial relationship. In 1 Samuel 18, we read of David and Jonathan actually forming an agreement. In this agreement, Jonathan was to be second in command in David's reign, and David was to protect Jonathan's family. So when we look at friendship, Biblical friendship is based on the fact that I will lift you up when you are down. That's what biblical friends do. They encourage one another. They don't walk out when you're down. They walk in when you're down, and they come in, and they, and they lift you up. They show up. They are there to support you. But not only do they show up, but they also pray for you. Job chapter 16 says this, My intercessor is my friend. 
as my eyes pour out my tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friends. Job is pouring his heart out to God. And he says, my friend is this relationship that I have with God. And my friends are those who plead on my behalf. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he may cause me. Don't you love that? When you are praying for somebody, it releases you of any animosity toward that person. You can't say, I hate somebody, and then pray for them. That's why we're commanded to pray for those who spitefully use us, pray for our enemies. If that's true of our enemies, how much more should that be true of our friends? Friends walk in when everybody else walks out. Friends pray for us. There's something else that friends do for us. They also protect us. In Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4, we have Aquila and Priscilla. They are the co-workers of Christ. Paul says something very unique about them. He says, you know, these friends of mine, Aquila and Priscilla, they risk their lives for me. He said, not only for me, but for all of the churches, all of the Gentile churches, and we are grateful to them. Can you imagine having a friend like that? Uh, They're always protecting you. They're not gossiping about you. They're not cutting you down. They're not talking about you behind their back. They're constantly protecting you. That's what a good friend does. A good friend looks out for you, protects you. A good friend is also loyal. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, I want to give you some encouraging news. Philippians 2.19. I want you to be encouraged by news about you. So I hope the Lord Jesus will soon let me send Timothy to you. I don't have anyone else who cares about you as much as he does. The others think only about their own interest, only about what is happening in their own concerns. But you know, Timothy, he's not that kind of person. He works with me like a son spreading the good news. That's what a friend is. A friend is loyal. One of the benefits of having a child with, who's now an adult with autism is that I get to watch a lot of children's programming. And one of my son, Seth, who has autism, one of his favorite shows is Finding Nemo. And in this particular Finding Nemo movie, they got Dory and they got Marlon. And Dory says, come on, you can trust me on this one. Marlon says, trust you. Dory says, yes, trust. It's what friends do. Isn't that so true? That's what friends do. They can be trusted. They are loyal. They keep promises to you. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Friends keep their promises. They hang in there with you through thick and thin. Uh, What we've learned so far today, that if you have a biblical friend, they lift you up when you're down. Number two, if you have a biblical friend, uh, you're going to discover that this friend does something else for you too. They set you down when you're going astray. I mean, they are willing to share the hard truth with you. I mean, they're the ones that will say, hey, you're heading in the wrong direction. And they're not afraid to do that. You see, one of the most beautiful qualities of true friendship is to understand and to be understood. 
to realize that friendship is sometimes sharing difficult truth. You know, when I think about friendship, it's not a job, it's a pleasure. When you really love somebody and you really want to be a friend with somebody, you point out their good and their bad. And you do that to their face, not behind their back. You are very much willing to share with them their shortcomings, not because you love to have a critical spirit, not because you love to dump on them, but you want what's best for them. And you want to confront anything that is is holding them back from their fullest potential. In Proverbs chapter 27, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, right? Solomon is very clear here that it's better to be rebuked by a friend than have fake, hidden love. Friends can be trusted. A true friend is going to tell you the truth. In Hebrews 10, 24, we're told to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's spurring one another. That's the same phrase that Paul used when he is having his road to Damascus conversion experience. And God says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to spur on going against the goads. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Proverbs 13, 27 says, He who walks with the wise will grow wiser, but a companion of fools suffers harm. One of my uh, favorite things to do is to encourage pastors, encourage friends. Just this past week, I received an email from a pastor friend who was just so discouraged, and and I, I sent him back just a quick email and He said, I want you to know I'm praying for you, and I want you to know that your ministry is doing much better than you can ever imagine. And this particular pastor friend forgot about a story that he and I shared together. And in this email, I wanted to encourage him, and so I reminded him of a story of a couple that was saved because of the influence of this pastor. And the neat thing about it is this couple for quite some time was in my church and was part of our church because of this pastor friend. And so I reminded this pastor friend of the wonderful influence he had upon this family and how this family, all these years later, and I'm talking about over 20 years later, this family is still serving the Lord. Oh, they moved out of the area. They're no longer in the Hampton Roads area. Uh, They moved into a different part of the state, uh, but they are still serving the Lord. And I said, you know what? Your ministry is making a profound difference. I want you to know, I am most humanly loved when I'm with God's people. I'm most spiritually loved when I'm in the presence of God. You know, some only want to feed on the experience of others. They are powerless in their faith. Some only want to feed on the presence of God. They are fruitless in the faith. When we are in Christ, we are all out for Christ. The world gets changed and so do we. The power of friendship. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, no man is poor who has had friends. And when you think about an overflow of great friendship is the ability to do great things for God. I want to spend the rest of the broadcast today and then into tomorrow talking about serving together. We are called to serve. 
and we've been given this wonderful mission to be servants of Christ. Now, as I think about being a servant of Christ, being called to be a servant of Christ, I want to do something a little unusual. I want to go back and share something that's fiction and something that is based on Spider-Man, and then I want to bring it around for a spiritual truth. So hang in it with me, okay? And you kind of hopefully catch where I'm going. Orphaned as a baby, when his parents were killed overseas in a plane crash, U.S. government spies, and they found only Peter Parker was alive, and, and so he was raised by his elderly Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Now, the story goes that he was academically gifted, and Peter displayed some really great affinity for science, and he was really nothing short of a genius. Well, socially, however, he was painfully shy, right? He had a hard time uh, expressing himself, and and he kind of held back, painfully shy. And as a result of that, he was the brunt of cruelty by many of his peers at Midtown High School. Again, this is based on a fiction, right? Spider-Man's not real, but I want to take you through the history of Spider-Man to understand that we are called to serve. Well, he attended a public science exhibit. Peter was 15 years old, and he was bitten on the hand by a radioactive spider, and uh, accidentally, he was given this beam, right? And it empowered Peter and uh, gave him potential strength and gave him unbelievable agility to cling to almost any surface. Well, most incredibly, he gained an additional sense that provided him with early warning of impending danger. Disguised as Peter, he would go on, and, and as he had this disguise as Peter, he tested his newfound abilities, defeating a professional wrestler in the ring and earning some cash and using his scientific abilities. He constructed a pair of artificial web shooters and they attached to his wrist. And he was able to come up with a costume, and he gave himself a new name. His new name was Spider-Man. He became an overnight sensation on television. Well, he was unconcerned with the rest of the world, and he vowed to use his powers to take care not only of himself, but his aunt and his uncle. At first uh, TV appearance, he goes in, and there's somebody that is a burglar, and, and he doesn't do anything to stop the burglary. And the one who is a thief later on goes and kills his Uncle Ben and his aunt. And as a result of that, Spider-Man is confronted with this opportunity that he missed to confront somebody, to stop somebody. And as a result, he decides to change his whole life. And with the help of some friends, Peter goes on and he takes a job at the Daily Bugle, selling pictures of himself as Spider-Man and kind of living a two-pronged lifestyle. Well, the author said, when we look at this, if Peter Parker was willing to do that, put his life on, on the line to rescue others, to use his gifts to rescue others, how much more, as Christians, should we do the same thing? Spider-Man, a superhero, right? A superhero is somebody who utilizes his or her own abilities for a specific reason in a specific way. You and I have been given supernatural super gifting to be used with supernatural power with a team called the church. When I think about the powers that we have 
through the Holy Spirit. It's not fictitious. It's real. The Spirit of God takes up residence within us. We become new creations in Christ. I love the word encouragement. It comes from the same word as help. When we come to church, we are to encourage one another. We are to help one another. This is accomplished through utilizing the gifts that God has given us. These gifts are the gifts that we receive at conversion. You know, the Greek word for encourage is parakaleo. It appears 105 times in the New Testament. Now, that's a lot. Somehow, encouragement has become confused with complimenting or praising. While praise can be part of encouragement, it doesn't cover the full meaning of the word. We often think of encouragement as saying nice things to others to make them feel good about themselves. But this is closer to the definition of a compliment. Encouragement is much deeper than that. Encouraging someone can mean you've given them support or confidence, but it also means that you are helping them to develop something within them. You're encouraging them with something that is inside of them. When the Bible talks about encouragement, it usually means that one is calling someone to their side in order to teach, comfort, strengthen, or push them to act in a certain way. Now, there are a few other words in the Bible that have a similar meaning, such as the word exhort. So exhortation and warning and admonition, they have the idea of correcting somebody who's going in the wrong direction. Encouragement, however, has that emphasis on infusing somebody with courage so they will continue doing the right thing. It's more than just warning them against doing the wrong. It is infusing them with what they need to continue on doing what is right. Now, when I look at the book of Ephesians, when Paul founded the Ephesian church, the city of Ephesus was a major occult city. I mean, they were worshiping the goddess Artemis. This was the city's main attraction. Many other types of occultic practice was carried on. And as you look at being a believer in Ephesus, they had to maintain their unity so they wouldn't struggle along in their new faith. So Paul encouraged them to remain unified in his letter. Let's look at one particular passage Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance one for another in love, being diligent to persevere, and being able to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the New American Standard translates the word parakleo as to implore or to beg. When Paul says he implores them to walk in a manner worthy, he's actually saying that he encourages them to walk that way. The Ephesian believers were allowing disunity to creep into their fellowship, into the fellowship of the believers. And Paul is telling them what they need to hear in order to change their behavior. You see, when we confront a friend about this, we're urging them to get back in line 
with God's word. We're encouraging them. It means we're telling them what they need to hear in order to bring about a change in action. We're feeling their discouragement and we're realizing they need a heavy dose of encouragement. We should always do this with grace and love and and wisdom. Sometimes encouragement is best to do in private, especially if the matter is a sensitive one. Remember, your encouragement makes a difference. So please join me tomorrow as we continue on this subject. It's time to serve the Lord by encouraging someone else. It's time to use the gift that God has given us, the gifts that God has given us, to encourage others. There's a wonderful ministry that God has for us. It's the ministry of encouragement, the ministry of reconciling people with God. I hope that you join me tomorrow for part two. Now, as we close, I would love to pray for you. If you would shoot me a text at 252-267-2365, I'd be happy to pray for you. That number one more time, 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. God bless you. Have a safe trip home. I'm praying for you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.